McNamara with What's New and Adapted Physical Education. I have two international scholars in the field of adapted physical activity on here to talk about, I think, a very necessary conversation about the Special Olympics, maybe how it fits into the field of APA, maybe some issues around it. And with that, I have Martin Geese from the University of Heidelberg and Dr. Tobias Bushner from University of Upper Austria. With that, thank you again for coming on and, you know, and, and writing this paper as well. I, I will, we're going to jump into this whole, and the paper that we're going to talk about is a subject of Special Olympics, interrogating the inclusive potentials of a sport movement from an ableism critical perspective. And I'm very excited to dive into this because I mean, even on this podcast, I might have made some comments before, but I think that Special Olympics, as we, we briefly talked about before, this is this huge entity that mm-hmm. definitely does APA stuff, but kind of sometimes lives outside of our scholarship and our conversations and stuff. So thank you for, for writing this. With that, before we get into the this paper, can you briefly introduce yourself and your background in the field of adapted physical education, adapted physical activity? Yes, I, I would I would start. Of course, thank you very much for the invitation. It's a great pleasure, great honor to be on your podcast. So my name is Martin Giese. I'm from Germany. So I'm a professor for sport science and sport pedagogy at the University of Education in Heidelberg. And I, I worked several years, almost 10 years as a teacher in, in different schools. So I, I was in a, in a mainstream school and for six years I've been in a special school for visual impaired people and there I, I taught sport and, and German language. Yes, and so I have uh, different sides of this, uh, of this issue, of this APA issue, so from the scholarship side, but also from the perspective of a teacher. So maybe it's enough for my first invitation, you know. Yes, and I'll continue. So my name is um, Tobias, and um, I'm head of the Department of Inclusive Education at um, University of Education um, Upper Austria. And um, by profession, I'm a professor for um, inclusive education. So this is might be somewhat one link to the topics, because um, my field of research, it circles around ableism, inclusive education, and sports or physical education. Um, and on the other hand, I'm also vice chair of the monitoring body um, of the um, UN Convention on the Rights of Persons um, with Disabilities. And I got into touch with the topic. Um, also, as I before my academic career, I was working for a large service provider for persons with intellectual disabilities. Of course, um, they participated regularly in Special Olympic Austria. And on the other hand, I was um, the head coach of um, Venice football, or I think it's soccer, a soccer team of um, young persons with um, intellectual um, disabilities. And so I got links to the topics uh, working as a practitioner, but also now as an academic. That's why we wrote the paper, um, Martin, me and two other colleagues. Yeah. And honestly, I think at some point, it'd be nice to see what what led you to this initial uh, paper. Let's start out, though, talking about what is the Special Olympics a little bit. And let's talk about it as an entity. 
that exist in our fields of disability and adapted physical activity. Yeah, let's first kind of just define it and see, like, where do you see it existing uh, within our fields and, and, and disability and adapted physical activity? Yes, it's a, it's a good question. I only can try to answer from a, from a German perspective or from a German language perspective, which may be equal to, to Austria and, and Switzerland, maybe. So in, in my eyes, I think that the Special Olympics is a very, very strong, powerful and important entity, if you want to call it like this. And um, they they make a lot of, of, of projects and, and they have a, a, a huge impact in my eyes on the on the scene and, and, and the, the whole area of inclusive physical education also. And on the other side, it is in, in, in my perspective, it's, it's it's a bit separated from the scholarship field. So they make something, so they have their own uh, projects, and they they fund their own project. And for me, the, the 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 starting point for this paper was, in particular, the the, the impression that I I have that they try to um, to to focus on inclusive physical education. And it's uh, a strong self-claim in this German, um, German language community for Special Olympics that they stay, that they, are, that they um, push the inclusion of people with disabilities. And there I have my, um, my concerns. So Feel free. We can talk about some of those concerns right away. And, you know, I will agree with you that, um, and I've seen people like representatives from Special Olympics sometimes at conferences that I'm going to and such, but even then it feels that there is a, a little bit of divide between the scholarship and, um, and as you said, and I believe probably the most prolific or largest impact quote unquote organization in our field there is, but they seem to be quite divided or or segregated maybe or something from the scholarship um, side of things. Uh, so with that, let's talk a little bit about what, and, and I think it's not just a German language issue. I think that saying that you are promoting inclusive education is a, is a big claim um, through what they're saying. So why don't, why don't you, why don't we start talking about how, how Special Olympics fits into this concept of inclusion and, and the potential issues of stating that? for the Special Olympics? Well, I think it, it's interesting, or it might be interesting also to ask what is understood by inclusion here, or in which type of world, of which understanding of society, um, rules and norms are persons with intellectual disabilities included by Special Olympics? So I would say, well, of course, um, Special Olympics, they have had a strong, and I mean, a positive impact on so many lives. I, I know from, from friends with um, intellectual disabilities and they have contributed a lot. But as Martin just said, no, it's still, but I think it's a segregated um, event. And um, it, um, I wouldn't say, well, I think what they might probably understand by inclusion is that in some ways, persons categorized as with or without um, disabilities get together and I would say um, that this um, co-presence at the same space or in the same space 
that this does not mean necessarily inclusion. I would say it's a prerequisite of inclusion, but I would doubt that Special Olympics as an event that they contribute so much to inclusion as is the self-claim of the organization. Because I think one has to look very carefully on the roles, you know, um, persons with intellectual, intellectual disabilities have in this and also the images. I think you mentioned also some speakers at conferences or also some, you know, presentations um, and self-presentations of um, Special Olympics um, in the media and the images of persons with intellectual disabilities um, that are um, portrayed in these um, campaigns, speeches, and so on. And, and here's my doubt. So I think the Special Olympics, there might be interactions with persons with and without intellectual disabilities, but there is still, I think, a very, um, not everywhere probably, um, but there's still a, a specific positioning of persons with intellectual disabilities. And this sometimes links what I would, what we would call in disability studies um, with a medical model, model and um, trying, you know, to empower um, poor persons with intellectual um, disabilities um, in order to give them the opportunity um, to do sports in a competitive way, which is, of course, empowering. We will come to this um, later on. But I think the way how this is portrayed and the rules, and we can talk about this later on as well, I have my doubts that um, they would, at least in my understanding, uh, contribute um, to what I would understand as um, inclusion. Yeah. Uh, and on this podcast, we've had uh, Dr. Justin Hagel on several times to talk about inclusion and the inclusive experience and what that means and looks like. And I think just that, uh, you know, as well, like, can you really even say that? Is it not? And, you know, can can a, a mission be to try to provide an inclusive experience rather than then I don't know, saying that, yes, this thing is definitely happening. And then I also think that you all touch on the issue in here. And I'd really like to dive into this because I saw quite a bit of this from my perspective about Special Olympics, but hierarchy. You talk about hierarchy in the world of Special Olympics at, at, at quite length in this paper um, and the issues of that. Um, and I think you talked about it a lot from at the athletes level and, and even outside of the Special Olympics and what the hierarchy that's being created by the Special Olympics and disability. Can you, can you talk, um, expand a little bit on that? Yes, I, I would try to start, yes. First, I would like to mention that there is uh, also a, a tradition of uh, critique on Special Olympics. I mean, since Story and, and his work, it's 2008, there are also very critical thoughts about uh, Special Olympics and about the idea that Special Olympics have a, a positive impact of the inclusion of people with disabilities. So our critique is, uh, stays in line with, with some older works, and I think this is important to, to, to highlight. But what I think what is the, the idea of our critique is that it's centered in this ableism critical perspective. So on there we, we, we have an, a tool and an, an, a theoretical tool to analyze and to, to, to detect some forces, maybe we can call it like this, who are uh, who, who, 
who function as a, a tool of exclusion. And um, this is the reason why Tobias and I work together because Tobias is uh, the expert for ableism and ableism uh, theories. And maybe Tobias, want, you want to start something about this uh, theoretical foil to to explain? Sure, sure, sure. So um, um, this uh, theoretical tool or um, analytical tool you mentioned, ableism, it um, um, was developed within the disabled people's movement. And it um, blossomed, I would say, in disability studies and has had a huge impact around the world uh, rather recently. I remember on Twitter, the hashtag ableism to tells me and stuff like this. So we think it's a very powerful tool. And if you would define what ableism is or what ableist is, it's, I think it's the exclusion or disadvantaging of a person um, in relation or due to um, unjust ability expectations. Right, so you can say it, it is a definition that is quite close to some definition about racism, right? But here it's about the um, role of ability expectations and how these are used or how these function, you know, as a symbolic order, so to say, um, how um, persons or in the post-structuralist talk, how subjects are hierarchized in relation to these um, ability expectations. And the interlinked division, what um, disability studies scholar Fiona Kumari Campbell says, the great divide, the binary divide between able and disabled, which is part of this um, ableist order. So we use this analytical tool to interrogate, you know, um, the inscribed orders, norms, and stuff in um, papers of um, Special Olympics um, Germany. And this is also important to mention, so when we say interrogate or a critical tool, um, we um, use this in order, you know, um, to contribute to support Special Olympics, how Special Olympics might develop or continue to become more inclusive. And I think ableism or ableist, the, the, the hierarchies in Special Olympics, um, they tell us a lot about um, what could be changed or where to move on to from this um, perspective. However, it's, it's important to understand that so when we're talking about ableism, Special Olympics, sports per se, of course, it's ableism, right? It's about divisions, it's about um, abilities, it's about who's the most able, the super able athlete and stuff like this. So one might say, okay, this is actually um, just the same scheme that in sports, in regular sports, in regular competitive sports, sports to be precise. However, if it's just a replication of these norms, these divisionings by abilities, you know, one might ask um, in how far this then is inclusive if it just takes place with the same rules in a segregated, more or less, as I would, as we would say, right, Martin, in a, a segregated setting. Yes, the question is, or the, the, the thesis is that Special Olympics maybe is nothing else than a form of, of sub-segregation. There are, of course, some changes, some superficial changes, maybe, but on the structural level, there are the, the same forces who are working, like divisioning and, and the, the idea of the ableism and the super-ableism athlete. So there is no, no system change. This is a, the critical question that we ask. <laughs> and, and 
and if I, if I may add to this also what, what you just mentioned, you know, when I think it, it, it's also important to understand the discourses and, and, and the, the, the historical era in which um, Special Olympics evolved, right? And um, as we also write in our paper, you know, we, we understand Special Olympics as, as um, a reaction um, of a twofold exclusion, mm -hmm. um, an exclusion from um, competitive um, sports for so-called non-disabled uh, people, and also as an exclusion from Paralympics, right? So this was, the, I think, the, the conditions um, under which um, Special Olympics could develop and was, of course, an opportunity to sort of install a system or events that are competitive um, sports events um, for um, this specific groups, which is, again, also, you know, classified or categorized by specific um, abilities or ability expectations um, that um, athletes um, should have. So, of course, and also when you, when you see who supported Special Olympics first, these were service providers, also in a family organization, some, maybe some family organizations, um, some parenting organizations, I mean, and um, also, but mostly at least in German speaking countries, it were like um, very traditional um, service providers in the field of persons with intellectual disabilities. And I think this was a strong match um, concerning um, how persons or athletes with intellectual disabilities should be thought and how they should compete in um, such an event. Yeah, and I think Special Olympics has kind of, uh, you know, been, been a big part in how the public views competition and disability and such. And I think, you know, in your paper, too, you, you do talk about how, yeah, how the whole idea of athletics is, is kind of, I don't know, doesn't fit the able or is, is very ableist in its way, too. So going back to the idea of Paralympics, and you do talk about it as well about elite sports and how, you know, Special Olympics really, that's one of the other ways that it's being segregated is that they're kind of not, not able to compete maybe in the, that elite aspect, or there's kind of lowering standards of the sport often. But um, as I'm sure we all know, the Paralympics obviously is for elite athletes. And I was wondering while reading this, do you believe that the Paralympics, even though it provides it to a much fewer group of people, maybe provides a more inclusive experience in Special Olympics? Yes, I think in, in our point of view, it is important to mention that the Paralympics movement does not have the same self-claim like Special Olympics. I, we read in the Special Olympics papers, and this was the approach of our paper, we made a document analysis and we, we, we looked for, for self-claims and they are very strong and clear self-claims for, for fostering inclusion. And you won't find these self-claims in the Paralympics movement. So I would argue that the Special Olympics and Paralympics are those equal. So of course, there are, there are differences, of course, in, in the question about the inclusive potential. So of course, there, there may on the superficial, uh, from the superficial perspective, there are some differences. So you have the, the people with dis so-called disability, um, with intellectual disabilities. But on the structural level, the, the exclusion processes are the same, more or less. 
so they are equal. But the, the, our question to Special Olympics is how do you justify your self-claim for inclusion? If I can follow up on that, do you view, and I think this is, I don't know, something that, that I played around a lot with is, do the Special Olympics, are they excluding individuals with intellectual disabilities from elite sports? Um, or, and maybe it's an and or, are elite sports already excluding them due to other factors and Special Olympics provides them some avenue to compete at some level? Does that make sense? Yes. We would say, um, I think that Special Olympics, it opens up spaces for competition, you know, for persons with intellectual disabilities, which is, of course, empowering, right? It is empowering as Paralympics is empowering also for for, for athletes in in, in this um, part of sports. And it is empowering also for other athletes in other competitive sports to compete, to, you know, to, to against each other and all this stuff. And we wouldn't we wouldn't doubt it doubt that at all, right? That this is not um, an arena, yeah, right? Probably more an arena than a space an arena that is um, empowering. However, the rules how this empowering does take place. I think these are not um, really um, inclusive, right? Because um, as we showed in our analysis, of course, some persons with intellectuals with they're excluded from this competition, right? due to specific ability um, expectations, which are inscribed very clearly or described very, very clearly um, in the papers who, is, um, who should or who is allowed, so to speak, um, to participate in these events. And we would say like, if you don't have the social, social emotional abilities, maybe to comply with some rules, you might be excluded. If you do not um, are not able, you know, by um, to 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 progress by training and to reach certain norms, you're not um, allowed um, to compete in all um, at all levels, right? So we would say it's just a very regular ability-based um, competitive events that also excludes persons with intellectual disabilities. So, so we wouldn't say from at least even from this point, it's not inclusive. But also when you look at the events and what, what we wouldn't see this as um, super inclusive, right? As, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, though that some um, in specific roads, persons with and without intellectual disabilities um, come together at, at, uh, at um, an arena or a sport field or, or anywhere. We wouldn't say that this um, necessarily um, leads to inclusion, right? Because and this might be it might be tricky because it, it might be you, a, a critical guy might might ask but um, yes uh, Martin Tobias how would inclusive um, sports then um, look like right and we think um, this is um, it might show away you know inclusive sports when we take this um, 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 ability lens for example right an inclusive education you know where we and you merge the idea of inclusion with the social model of this disability and, and, and from an ableist perspective, I would say an inclusive learning space is that is enabling for all learners, right? And which doesn't exclude by ability expectations, but which still, you know, where everyone can, can, can be enabled and empower him or her or, her or whatever self, um, you know, in this, in this space, right? So this, when you when you would think of this for for inclusive sports, and this would be an event well that that is enabling for for everybody, you know, no matter what 
the perceived um, abilities of all the persons are and how can you create some rules that this, that this fits. And that's what would be, um, um, Special Olympics wants to be an, an inclusive event. I think it would, right, Martin, it would need to move to this direction, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it, 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 it's, it's totally, I think it's okay, it's, 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 uh, it's legit, so to speak, you know, it's a segregative um, event which parallels Paralympics and, and competitive sports, but um, it's um, definitely not inclusive. Absolutely. And what I would like to add is that, that, um, that we propose to, to add another perspective to the discourse. And the, the, this perspective would take into account the people who are not able to participate in Special Olympics. And of course, there are people who are not able to participate. And from a research perspective, we, it's not a good idea to make interviews only with uh, participants from Special Olympics. We have to, to look for people who decide by their own that they do not want to participate in Special Olympics and ask for the question, for the reasons why. And we need a research about people who, um, who maybe first time was part of the Special Olympic movement and then decided to, to, to leave it. So, And there is all, almost no research about these people. So from a research perspective, we have to, to focus on these people. And the, the question is, yeah, it is, um, we have to ask for whom it's, it's empowering. So, and not to be uh, understood in a, in, a, in a wrong way, we do not deny the, 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 the benefits of special Olympics. And there are a lot of, of, of studies who, who, who show us how, how, empower, how powerful this, this, this movement is and how it benefits to the empowerment for, for some people. Oh, everything fine. But there is a lack of research about these people who are not included. And I think that goes back to the power of Special Olympics because my guess is, is that they have an IRB or they have some type of institution that approves these research studies that are being conducted with them, you know, and they're probably not too interested in doing ones that might shine any lights that would be uh, a little negative. So, and, and I, I think those are really good points. You know, one thing that I didn't see hit in this paper that I've thought about um, as you critiqued it is... When I've gone on a Special Olympics event, I even once, I went to a bar once and all these people at the bar who I believe were non-disabled, they had their shirts on for Special Olympics from that earlier that day. And I saw all these people coming up to them, buying them free drinks, patting them on the back, saying, you are such a good person. And I watched it, you know, my, uh, I put my, my, like whatever researcher had on while I was watching this. And I thought, you know, and I've seen it other ways too, but sometimes I feel like Special Olympics is not about the betterment always of the athletes as much as it is maybe about the volunteers and people that are the able-bodied or non-disabled people that are uh, putting these things on that are feeling good about the yeah. quote-unquote charity that they yeah. are providing yeah. is at least how I've often experienced the lays person communicating and experiencing uh, Special Olympics. And I thought, what, what would your thoughts be on that? 
I, I would absolutely absolutely agree. I, I know I, I, I made the same observations, what you just described, you know, these practices of sitting at the shoulder, buying things, or maybe even talking in a rather childish way, in a very patronizing way, I, I would say, you know, I mean, in a paternalistic way, you know. And this is, you know, also what, um, it, it's a classic, actually, it, it might contribute, you know, it might, one might ask also when, when, when we were talking about what to research, right? So, um, and of course, we think the perspectives of, 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 of um, persons, of athletes with intellectual disabilities, it is very important, right? But however, one might ask also what you just said, um, in how far do the so-called the able-bodied the volunteers um, benefit from their thing? And isn't this um, contributing to a really old um, narrative in the charity model? Like, you know, I think Bill Hughes said this once, you know, like, um, disabled people are, um, it, it, there's a benefit for the non-disabled to, to, to perform or to present themselves as caring, you know, in this specific location, like patting on the shoulders. But at the same time, they are re, I think by doing this, would they do it with another person? I, I wouldn't think so if it's about sports, right? I think it would be, it might be in some arenas where, you know, after everybody is, you know, um, pat on the shoulder and you're a great athlete. I haven't observed um, stuff like this in any other competitive sports in the aftermath, right? Mm. And um, I would say um, that this is a very interesting um, aspect. So, um, Kui Bono, right, who, who, who benefits after all. And yeah, of course, some, a lot of persons with intellectual disabilities are empowered. But it might be also very, so to speak, empowering for the caretakers, for the volunteers in order to present themselves as caring at this specific occasion. But one might also ask how this contributes to a political change and towards inclusion. Maybe to add something to, to this, um, we also dis discussed in our, in, in our paper the, the idea that the Special Olympics, of course, also contribute to the normalization of people with intellectual disabilities. So in, in our point of view. So in so far that if um, people with, intellect, uh, with intellectual disabilities face the same social rules and the same idea of sports, that com competitive sports, like in the non-disabled sport, then of course, this is, this is a, a way of normalization. But here we, it comes, always the same, but it's not in our idea an inclusion, an inclusion moment. So maybe it's a form of normalization. Yes, I would, we would agree. But this is some normalization is not the same like an inclusion movement. Yes, yes. And, and, and of course, this normalization, it's empowering, right? Yes. So we, we, we're talking about, you know, the, the, the neoliberal safes that is also promoted in sports events, you know, the, the fit self-caring, always optimizing, um, always trying to be a bit faster, to be a bit stronger, to be a bit better and stuff like this. And if these are the hegemonic discourses of this world, of course it's empowering, you know, to be part of an arena where the same discourses in a segregated way, but still the same discourses um, structure the events um, of Special Olympics. And so we, we do not want to be understood as paternalistic saying, well, you know, we as researchers 
in the same game, aren't we? Right? Like, like, like neoliberal self-optimation, next paper, this set, blah, 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 you know? So we don't next want podcast. To... Yeah, next podcast, right? <laughs> we misunderstand that personalistic. No, um, you should um, only compete in sport events that are more just. And of course, if they have the opportunity to, to perform in this, and of course, in the neoliberal world, this is empowering and important. But as uh, Martin said, it's, it provides to a certain normalization, to um, a certain understanding of oneself that is, might be very similar um, to other people and to these hegemonic ideals of, of uh, Western societies. But uh, it's not about inclusion. That's what we do. Absolutely. And I saw that, like, you um, cited one of his papers, and I've cited him a few times. I think his name is McConkie, Roy McConkie. And he's done a lot on Special Olympics and like how it's, you know, changed attitudes. And I want to say there was a study where he found like something like one in 37 people had, that's how they experienced. That was their like primary experience with disability was through Special Olympics, which is like in the, in the world. Um, and when you talk about furthering this charity mindset and stuff like that, the danger of this huge entity that's providing people's primary impression or many people's primary impression of disability and doing it from that type of mindset, whether consciously or purposefully or not, is a little, I don't know, frightening, I guess. Or, uh, um, you know, and I don't know if, if the thing that I don't get, and I think it goes to Martin and, and your point about when you looked at the content analysis, their language is this like so utopian compared to what's maybe actually happening that I'm not even sure they are acknowledging their position, their, their power and position in this, this, this conversation and the potential unintentional harms that they could be doing because their language, as you said, is so we are providing an inclusive ex like education, which is, as you both said, those are, that's, that's, those are big words <laughs> and they're not communicating. They've acknowledged their, the amount of power they have, as well as the unintentional harm they could be doing. Yes. Maybe no, first of all, you, you mentioned McConkie. It's a good uh, example. It's, it's a great colleague and he makes a, a lot of a great research, fantastic work. But this is one of the things I mentioned earlier. The, the the participants in his study, everything is fine, but there is a lack of people who do not possess the abilities to be part of this movement. So, and this is, uh, in our eyes, uh, one of the of the critics um, who have been addressed. So to to make the the Special Olympics movement more inclusive. We, we need more ideas about what, what Justin Hegel is calling feel included. So, and I, yes, I would agree that this is important. And, and the other thing, thing what, you, what you said, Scott, is maybe this is also connected to the idea of the, of the super crip narrative. Uh, so the, the, the people also in Special Olympics, you, you need your heroes, you need your super crips and, what 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 is the subtext <laughs> so and the subtext for the people who do not possess the necessary abilities so they are forgotten is the idea mm, and and if, if i may, may add to this right so from ableism critical um, perspective it might be you know um, um which abilities become relevant 
in a specific space. So um, we wouldn't we wouldn't say like like say like that ability is something rather inherent um, to a person or to an individual, right? But this ability expectations more or we wouldn't we wouldn't um, put this um, in the foreground. But ability expectations, how do they um, relate? different subjects, different persons um, to each other. And um, as we would say, they don't occur natural, naturally, we, we would say, but they are made relevant here as a set of rules in Special Olympics. And by these ability expectations, certain subjects are excluded from the beginning. And if these ability expectations wouldn't be made relevant, they would not be um, excluded, right? So um, we would say it's, it's, it's so to say, it's, it's built to reproduce um, ability-based exclusion, right? Yes, and I, maybe we, um, yes, we have here a point we have uh, discussed in the beginning. Uh, Tobias mentioned in the beginning that sport, sports per se is an ableist area. And maybe we have, we face in, in these discourses some some barriers. Maybe maybe we cannot overcome. And then then it is uh, difficult to 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 argue that my my movement, that's a special Olympic movement, is uh, is is so inclusive. Maybe it is maybe it, it, it's a good idea to be more not to to put it in the forefront like this. So that's. I think um, your point about that is an issue. I was going to say something like that. Like, you know, you've talked about neoliberal viewpoints that are always going to, you know, I'm in the U.S., which is king of neoliberal viewpoints. Uh, Maybe, and, yes. <laughs> uh, very much so, whether we know it or not. But, you know, finance, financial gain and efficiency, that's all that matters in the neoliberal viewpoint, um, which very much fits into sports. But it does not fit within health and education and disability uh, very well. And I, I wonder, you know, this is always a debate that's happening. And but I do wonder, you know, is there a spectrum of the, these things when you're saying, you know, it has to be neoliberal? Well, you know, and maybe it will never be this for everyone kind of thing and all the things. But it, maybe it's not just one or the other, rather, and just like inclusion it's not this is inclusive or not, but potentially, and Hegel said this as well, it's a spectrum that we're living on of inclusion. So versus having this dichotomy of it's occurring or not occurring, thinking about it as potentially, you know, because I think we will always have, even in our society, even if people that don't ascribe to a neoliberal viewpoint, I think I want my pharmaceuticals to be efficient. You know, I, there's there's neoliberal principles that I think apply to different parts of our life or and again, we we live on a spectrum. And so sports and such and ableism and all these things, I, I, they probably live on I, from my point of view. I think they could live in the spectrum as well. But we need that the pendulum so switch swung to that neoliberal view. It needs there needs to be some. Yes, but this leads to another point of our analysis about the subject formation because uh, the, the, we, we, we looked or we, we tried to, to discover the, the subject subject formation structures in 
in the Special Olympics papers we, we analyzed. And there is a strong link, so in, in our eyes, there is a strong link uh, about neoliberal ideas of, of societies and uh, the, the, the subject who is formed by Special Olympics. Because the, the, the subject of Special Olympics is also a subject who always try to optimize itself on, on, based on a free will. I want to optimize myself, and I, um, and, but if I do not uh, follow these rules, I'm not longer a member of Special Olympics. So, and there are also other ideas to be as talked about. Uh, the social emotional abilities were necessary to be part of this movement. And so they follow the same rules of a, of, of a neoliberalism idea or ideals. And so and this is what we mentioned earlier. There is no system change. <laughs> there are on the structural level, there are the same uh, structures who who build Special Olympics, like the non-disabled uh, competitive sport. Yes, and, and what we did, you know, using ableism as an, an analytical tool, this would mean, and this idea talking about subject constitutions or formations, what we would say from a post-structuralist point of view, of course, this idea for ableist competition, we would say it doesn't occur naturally, but mm -hmm. it's, um, it's inscribed in us like how we grow up. You know, when we watch the first soccer game or the first basketball or baseball game to relate it more to US sports, right? And the idea how sport is performed in these arenas, of course, it creates a certain desire to compete in these arenas and to become an able, sporty subject or the champion, right? However, we think it's it's not um, it's not a natural thing that, that occurs um, in, in, in the way how persons, individuals, think themselves in the world of sports and stuff. And if I got you right, you meant, well, it's probably, it, 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 it's, it's legitimate to have um, different arenas for sports, you know, also Absolutely. segregated ones, right? Everybody from here, my, my friends who, in, from, from um, friends and colleagues who are in Paralympic sports, right? They were like, I, I want this arena, you know, which is segregated and empowering for me. And, and, and we would never... Um, we would never um, argue uh, against this. However, if Special Olympics should be inclusive or claim to be inclusive, uh, we wouldn't make this. But these areas, right, where you might find ways to do sports in another more solid, um, solidary way, which is other, we are not experiencing these potential spaces of sports when growing up. And that's why we think it would be an interesting endeavor to more investigate and, and um, like, like a laboratory, how could these um, spaces look like? And if, um, um, if this wouldn't be, they wouldn't be um, an interesting alternative, um, maybe for some persons, because of course, if it's inclusive, it's voluntary and you, you want to, to, to engage mm -hmm. in such, such a space, right? Maybe these spaces um, would be a very interesting um, alternative um, that could be um, developed very well um, under the name or under the roof or in collaboration with or also with some of the resources of um, Special Olympics. Absolutely. Mm. And to wrap this up, that was a good segue. The last question I have is how would you like to see the Special Olympics evolve 
in the coming years to provide more inclusive experiences to people with disabilities and specifically intellectual disabilities. And then my point of view, one of the important things would be that Special Olympics uh, should be uh, more more careful about the idea that Special Olympics is something like the incarnation of of inclusion. There is there they should be more more careful in in, in my eyes. So um, nothing against Special Olympics again and again. <laughs> we, we do not uh, want to. To, to, to say uh, to, to be understood the Special Olympics is, is not necessary or that there is a fundamental problem. No, everything is, is a great movement. It's, it's a question about the self-claim about being inclusion, inclusive. And there, it's, it would be my, my first idea that they should be more careful about this, this self-claim. And then I can also I only can um, agree with what Tobias just said, this could be a, a way for, for being uh, more inclusive, maybe. Yes, I think um, Special Olympics, maybe maybe also the, the, the name could be changed. I know it's a label that has been, um, you know, but it's still, you know, it's even inscribed in the name, it's, it's segregation uh, as a program, okay? Which is understandable, you know, from the history of it, and it's become, and you know, it's a trademark, which blah, blah, blah. But um, maybe it could really become, at least in some parts, a laboratory for more inclusive sports. And we think this would be a very interesting um, endeavor as um, Special Olympics has a very strong network. And um, we would say that also has a very strong interest in becoming inclusive. Mm -hmm. And um, we would like to also support um, um, this idea of um, becoming more inclusive under the roof of um, Special Olympics. So if I add a last thing to this, if we want to be more uh, concrete about the, uh, the possible development of Special Olympics, then uh, according to our, our document analysis, an, an important step could be to, to reread the, the official Special Olympic policy papers. So, and to, to get in, in, in touch with, with um, ableism critical disability study scholars and and to to rewrite uh, to, to the, the official official papers because this is what we we try to 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 show with our analysis that in these official papers there is it's inscribed in all the rules the the, the, the normality um, narrative. And I think there are a lot of possibilities and to 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 build up it in an, in another more inclusive way. I think those are are really great takeaways. And what I'm hearing is this institution was built. I think it was conceptualized in 1961, I believe, by Eunice Shriver as a Eunice Shriver camp. I think I got that date right. And maybe those uh, in a lot of the same ideas that push that movement. And the name of it, the language around it might not have changed as much as maybe some theoretical frameworks around it uh, and scholarship around it has. And I, I think those were wonderful ideas. So with that, we're right on the dot for an hour. So I want to say thank you very much for your time, your expertise and uh, the conversation.
Yeah, we thank you for your invitation for the great discussion we had here. Yeah, thank you for this very great opportunity. We are very glad we had um, this opportunity in, in this um, lovely podcast. Thank you. Thank you.